Hello, this is Mike Biffle, uh, creator of Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 62 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, December 13th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we will discuss the Xbox news coming out of the Game Awards. We'll take a look at the recently released engagement numbers for Microsoft. Halo Infinite now has a release date, and we'll be talking with Oli Alatalo from 10 Ton Studios about his work in the twin-stick genre. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XCP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I want to offer words of kindness and encouragement to those who have made my gaming week better. And the truth is, I had a bevy of choices to choose from, as I've had an absolute wonderful week in the gaming verse for a number of different reasons. Uh, but I had to choose two names, and I did indeed. The first, of course, I want to give a shout-out of friendship to my friend Asa Green River. He has been rocking it on his Twitch channel and uh, a number of different places. We've seen him on places like Kind of Funny Games Daily. He's been working with Mr. Badbit uh, over on his channel, doing his own work over at Borderline Entertainment. Uh, Asa, an absolute blast. I jumped into his stream the other night just to say hello and get, ended up getting uh, invited to play Fortnite with him and his buddies and his wife had a great old time there and yes I did play Fortnite more on that later uh, but but really and truly Asa Green River a name that you guys should seek out in the Twitterverse and the coverage verse uh, a great human being and a wonderful person the other person I want to give a shout out to uh, I do not know their actual name however he goes by the indie gamer over on the Twitterverse runs an indie game channel covering indie games across a number of different platforms including Xbox he He's doing his own indie game awards, uh, and the truth is, every chat that I go to, every conversation that I have the privilege to be a part of uh, on other people's channels, the indie gamer is there and doing his own coverage, but also supporting others. Just a great human being, and what better, what better feeling to get behind than someone who spotlights uh, the smaller creators in the gaming verse, the smaller developers, and the games that need more attention uh, than that. So, um, to the two of you, you've made my gaming week better for sure, and I have an absolute blast interacting with you guys in the social space. Uh, beyond that, guys, you're about to get into a monster episode with tons of news from the Game Awards and every other place uh, around the, the nether regions of the, the interwebs. I don't know that I like that descriptor. That's kind of weird. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please indeed check out the old iTunes and, and review that. If you don't have an iTunes account or an iDevice, rather, jump into your iTunes on your PC. Throw a review there. It really does indeed help. I think we're uh, a little over 50 at this point, which is great, but I know many more people listen to the show, and if you've got a chance... To offer some support, I would appreciate it. But let's get into Le News for Xbox. 
Man, I don't know where to start this week. We've got Halo Infinite news, we've got Game Award announcements, things to discuss about player engagement, and I think it would be doing a disservice if we started anywhere else but the Game Awards. Jeff Keighley's uh, major, major success of an award show this year uh, took place this past week, and I have to say it was an incredible undertaking to bring an award show that was as high quality, ripe with announcements and coverage and live voices. Uh, as in general, during a pandemic year, I thought it was a very well run and very well, well well produced show that just stood out to me as just being impressive. Now, to be very clear, I'm not someone who really gets behind the ideas of the awards being the end all be all. I mean, the, the Game Awards is a, a collaboration between a number of different outlets and they all spotlight different games. But that said, I don't think that the winner or the nominees are the best and only versions of those games and those genres uh, that people should be playing. And there's a lot of great games out there for a lot of different reasons. But what I do appreciate most about the Game Awards is the spectacle and the celebration that comes with the week where we have, where we all gather around and, and we look towards this particular award show more than just the GameSpot Awards or the IGN Awards, etc. And we look at uh, what is coming in the Gamerverse, what's happened in the past year of the Gamerverse, how gaming has evolved, what voices are important, something, an underlying theme that I've really enjoyed over the past few months uh, in our, our various uh, corners of the interwebs is the increased spotlight on marginalized voices in gaming. I think that has been a constant struggle for a lot of people to gain attention that is deserved. I think that it has come with a number of different uh, struggles for many, many people involved in trying to spotlight people. And I'm glad that it's happening so that uh, the people who listen to this show, your children, are able to have a better gaming verse, a more diverse gaming verse, and a gaming verse that is ripe with more ideas and possibilities than the one that we are privy to now. And the Game Awards themselves, I thought, did a great job at showcasing some of those voices. There's plenty of work still to be done. I thought many of the awards that went out were a bit too... Um, I don't know what the right word is. It felt like uh, a couple things were happening. It felt like the Last of Us award show. And while it is fine for many different outlets to vote for the Last of Us, I, we all have our own personal opinions about uh, any any game, really, whether we like it, dislike it, if there's quality to be had there. It felt like when the Last of Us was in a category, it won it. And I thought that took spotlight away from some other uh, really impressive games within those genres. And again, I go back to the idea that just because you know, a game is uh, wins an award or doesn't win award an award in uh, the Keeleys, that doesn't mean that that's not worth playing and that there's not games out there that deserve your spotlight. And if you are in a particular genre and you want more within that genre, we talk a lot about Twin Sticks and Will, Will in an interview later on in the show, there are websites and, and reviewers dedicated to checking out the best Twin Stick shooters around, the best RPGs that are out there, the best... Uh, I don't know, card simulation style games that, that exist. And we owe it to ourselves to do more than just tackle the nominees that are available based on timing and finances and anything else. But say say what you will about that. I was really impressed with the, the, the award show. I thought it was a really, pardon me, it was a very well put together show. And I was very proud to see so many great voices and great games being nominated. I really enjoyed seeing people react live via Zoom and Skype, etc. to their awards. That was fun. But 
if I'm being frank, I was really there for the announcements and the reveals and the trailers and the excitement of others around me. Uh, and perhaps that beca that's because Microsoft certainly had a diminished presence uh, in this year's Game Awards, as they have for quite a while. They've been very, uh, I would say they have been underrepresented in the award categories. However, I don't think that's through you know a massive amount of snubs. I think that the catalog of games that have come from Microsoft's first party have not been able to hold a candle to games like Ghost of Tsushima or God of War, etc. In those particular types of discussions, that's, I, the, the reality is I play a ton of Gears 5 and a ton of Halo and Sea of Thieves and State of Decay, etc. A number of the first party uh, games out of Microsoft. But they don't necessarily critically review or gain the same types of conversation that you might see for you know the games previously mentioned. So that, that, take that for how you will. In an effort to combat the lack of uh, showing in the nominee categories, apart from a few Microsoft Flight Simulator or Ori uh, nominations, they have done a really good job last year when they announced the Series X, and this year with the announcements they put forth that showcase that Xbox is alive and well and keeping it within the mindshare, which you absolutely must do when uh, what people think of as your primary co competition in Sony when they're sweeping award categories left and right. And amidst those many, many announcements that we got, I thought it would be prudent to go through a few of them, the ones that stand out. We would be here all night if I were to list every single announcement from the Game Awards that had the, the word Xbox attached to it. But I chose the major players, and I think the first one is that we finally found out what it is that the initiative is going to be working on. Of course, the initiative is that fabled Quad A Studio, as Microsoft executives accidentally put it and it won't stop doing, it's that Quad A Studio bringing in talent from all over the gaming industry that, from games like God of War and Uncharted, etc., to work on their next project, which is indeed going to be in the perfect dark universe. It's an old IP from within Microsoft's catalogs or Rare's catalogs, perhaps, all dating back to the Nintendo 64. This new game, we saw a brilliant trailer for that was really trying to show the concept of what it is they're going for. To my knowledge, it was not necessarily an in-engine uh, or gameplay representative trailer, but it was to help audiences and indeed the team get an idea for what it is they're trying to do and create with Perfect Dark. It looks to be a brilliant sci-fi uh, game that works a lot with eco-sci-fi based on ecology. Uh, the idea that the planet was overwarming and how uh, the corporations stepped in to help reduce some of the uh, pollution that was taking place and changing of the environments. And, you know, one of the themes is that nature is pushing back a little bit. We have an idea that Joanna will be working a lot, most likely, with corporate espionage and things of that nature. And I have to say, it was a very exciting trailer that a lot of people really got hyped on, and I'm ecstatic for it. It was long rumored that Perfect Dark would be making a return. And something I don't believe Microsoft has done well in the Xbox One generation was take advantage of IP that exists within their catalog. And that's something they have been consciously trying to address, you know, with uh, the Battletoads making a return, with the acquisition of Bethesda, but Banjo-Kazooie still remains, you know, MIA, and we haven't seen anything from Fusion Frenzy, Viva Pinata has been rather quiet, and so I would expect that we see more returns of old IP, and I, w I would imagine also the continued uh, work to create new IP, think about Avowed, and 
uh, Elden Ring, etc. But this was exciting news to see that Perfect Dark is going to be making a return. Uh, Perfect Dark Zero helped launch the Xbox 360 generation. It was rather lackluster by comparison to the hype and excitement that the N64 game brought. And I don't personally have a whole lot of affinity or disaffinity. That's not really a word, I don't think, uh, for Perfect Dark. But I'm excited to see uh, what the initiative is doing and the quality that's coming out of it. I think it's really nice to now have something to look forward to in the future from a studio that Microsoft has created for the sole purpose of bringing high-quality single-player experiences to Xbox gamers. And in that exact thought, we know nothing about whether or not this game will have multiplayer, but my hope is that resources are not put into multiplayer. We have a bevy of choices for multiplayer uh, suites in the Xbox ecosystem as it stands. You've got your State of Decay, Sea of Thieves, Gears, Halo, all types of cooperative and competitive multiplayer games. I would love to see this be a a, a first-person or third-person, whatever they've gone with, single-player experience. We've seen them be profitable uh, on the Sony side. We've seen that that you know games like Jedi Fallen Order for third parties are very successful. The Witcher, of course, Cyberpunk coming out to its own set of discussion points, but it being primarily single-player. I would like to see Perfect Dark go down that same path and be a single-player exclusive that can be celebrated for the Xbox community. Continuing in the announcements for the Game Awards, and as I said, there are quite a few, Microsoft Flight Simulator will be coming to consoles in summer of 2021. Buried, I think, within that announcement, at least based on what I've researched to this point for this show, it looks like there are no Xbox One versions of Flight Simulator coming to console, and that it will be exclusive to Series S and X, and of course xCloud, which you'll be able to access in a number of different places that we'll talk more about later in the show as well. But Flight Simulator, a game that is absolutely renowned and getting all types of accolades uh, in any number of of, of discussion points for Game of the Year uh, in the PC space, great to see it coming to consoles. Very curious to see how it adapts. I'm not one for the simulator style games, even the Forza simulator games like Motorsport, not really my jam, but there's a lot of joy to be had in a game like Flight Simulator, and why wouldn't you take advantage of the next-gen hardware and getting it in front of more people's eyes and making that word... Microsoft, that word Xbox, echo greatly in gamers of all types. This could be a perfect game to sit down and relax on an evening with your family uh, when maybe it's just not the night to jump into Call of Duty. So I am very happy to see this. You can, of course, expect it to come into Game Pass when it does take place. And I like that it's in summer of 2021. Uh, it looks to me like the the early part of 2021 for first-party slate is going to be very barren. And based on the way a lot of games are releasing right now, uh, third and first party from both both console makers, I'm fine with games being delayed until they work well. Uh, and of course, Halo in that conversation later on in the show. Uh, but I'm yeah, I'm I'm down with that idea for sure. We also know that games like Among Us will be coming to Game Pass for PC. Uh, in in the coming weeks and months. That's really exciting. Other announcements, Master Chief is now a part of Fortnite Season 5. It's a limited time purchase. I went in and bought it myself. I have a lot of thoughts about that. I played my first games of Fortnite ever when I saw that Master Chief was in there because I'm just so excited for Halo Infinite, for Halo to be returning into the conversation 
I bragged to my students that I won my first game. Of course, it was against bots, uh, but I won my first Victory Royale, and they were getting really excited, and they were finding out quite seriously they were learning who Master Chief was, and they're like, oh, wait, Halo, is that that's the thing you like, Mr. Lore, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I like. Yes, it's so cool. And uh, in, in, over the last few days, I've been playing a lot of Fortnite uh, with Mr. Badbit, with my buddies Kevin and Charles, jumping in. Uh, a lot of bot matches because our accounts are young, but when, when I play with Badbit uh, and a few others like Asa, we were playing against a lot of people, doing very well, very pleased with myself. Got some victory royales that were clearly against a, a lot of people, which was really fun. And my favorite memory of this, because Master Chief was in Fortnite, it, it brought me in, right? And I'm, of course, I, I bought the Battle Pass. I did spend the V-Bucks. I got the bundle for Halo. Um, I'm even debating if I want to spend the money to do the Fort Fortnite subscription. Uh, someone help me, please. Uh, but I, I really had a blast because Badbit was playing as Kratos. I was Master Chief. We were battling against people that were in Marvel skins, which I'm so bummed I miss out on now that I'm enjoying the game. And it was just dope. He was on his PS5. I was on my Series X. And we were just playing games. And there were so many properties and, and skins and areas on display from Star Wars and Marvel and some DC stuff that it really felt like you were just picking up your action figures and playing as a kid. And that was a really cool feeling. So cheers to Master Chief being in Fortnite. Let me know if you're picking that one up. You get a very special matte black version of Master Chief uh, if you're on Series S and X. So, you know, take advantage of it. Something I did not realize is that once skins are gone, they're gone for near good. They'll show up in a shop months and months down the road. But uh, know that if you're thinking about Master Chief, pull the trigger now because he will likely be gone soon. Continued announcements from the Game Awards, Disco Elysium, the much-acclaimed RPG, is going to be coming to Xbox in summer 2021. You can open up Forza Horizon 4 right now and find the Cyberpunk 2077 car available to you. That's ecstatic. There is a new Mass Effect game. We got a cinematic trailer, but no title or gameplay or even a launch window uh, for it to be coming. In fact, it was a trailer that showed uh, the N7 wreckage and that we would be seeing more... Uh, more Mass Effect news. It even it just ended with Mass Effect will continue, and that's really exciting for a lot of people that are are stoked on Bioware's next project. I do think the name Bioware is absolutely tainted in the wake of uh, the the recent Dragon Age, kind of the news that came out in Trier's book about that with Andromeda, with Anthem, and I don't think Bioware is nearly the company that it once was, even if you liked those games, and I liked Anthem a lot. It just it doesn't carry the same panache and weight that it once did. And so I think they're eager to try and regain the trust of their of their players. The Dragon Age trailer looked fine. It looked kind of kind of generic in the fantasy world next to games like Avowed and a few others, but but it was great for Dragon Age fans. There is a, a Dragon Age show that's in the making that's exciting as well. Um, but cheers to Bioware fans who know now, without a doubt, not only is the Mass Effect collection coming back, but a new Mass Effect is in the works. And uh, frankly, I hope you guys get the game you want. I, I would hope that people who aren't interested in Halo Infinite hope that for me, and I hope that for you guys who are excited for Mass Effect. Rock on. The other announcement that I thought was hilarious, strange, odd, weird, and okay, out of nowhere, was the announcement of Ark 2. The sequel to Ark Survival Evolved will be coming out. It is going to be Xbox exclusive that wasn't noted or celebrated in the trailer or at the Game Awards. No one really said it. It was only through an Aaron Greenberg tweet that I got that information. Uh, but what's interesting about it is this Ark 2 game is going to be not only Xbox exclusive and PC exclusive, I'm sure, uh, but it stars Vin Diesel. 
and he's battling dinosaurs. He's a dinosaur hunter named Santiago, and everybody seemed to think this was Turok. In fact, I wondered at first if it was Riddick, and then we thought Turok, and I thought it was Turok starring Riddick, but it was about family. Uh, that was my joke that I put out, but I found out quickly that uh, as funny as I thought my joke was, somebody else dubbed it The Past and the Furious because, of course, it's set seemingly in the past, but there's sci-fi tech. I thought that was hilarious. Bottom line, Arc 2, an exclusive for Next Gen, starring Vin Diesel. Who'd have thought? The announcements roll on, of course. I mean, there is, there is a lot to unpack here. I'll go quickly through a few of these. Back for Dead is a Left 4 Dead spiritual successor from the developers who worked on Left 4 Dead. They're making Back for Dead, which is not technically in the same universe, but it is that same uh, co-op four-player battling zombie-like monsters throughout the evening in first person. It looks awesome. They showed some gameplay for it. If you have any mild interest in Left 4 Dead, Maybe you've played games like Earthfall uh, Invasion as well, which is a good kind of clone of that, except you're battling aliens. This Back for Dead looks incredible, and I am so excited for it. Uh, I, I'm st- stoked for it to be. I know it's going to be on Xbox. I do not know if it's on multi-platform, but it looks incredible. Go check out that trailer. If you're a fan of Dead Space, Dead Space is getting a spiritual successor as well in the name of Callisto Protocol, which the developer says he wants to make it be the scariest game ever created. It was really cool to see that trailer because there were uh, different types of of HUD elements that were attached to the character's body, very similar to Dead Space, where you looked at at, at the spine and you figured out how much health you had and ammo, etc. I'm really excited to see where Back 4 Dead and Callisto Protocol take place. Uh, that That is something that is incredible there. Um, I do want to go... Oh, and Elden Ring, uh, I believe, was one of the most anticipated games. No real news on Elden Ring, uh, which is interesting from software, making that game, the Xbox community, very excited for that. But no news showing up there, and that's that's fascinating. There is an element here that I want to go back to, and it is Master Chief in Fortnite. And uh, let me... Let me point some some thoughts out on this one. I mentioned that once things are gone, you can't repurchase them. However, in playing this with this Halo bundle where you get an emote, you get a gravity hammer instead of an axe, uh, you get the Pelican glider, which looks really cool, uh, and of course you get the Master Chief skin, it really makes me feel as I'm playing with this that there was more Halo content that is perhaps being held back now given that Halo Infinite was delayed. And I would expect that down the road or closer to Halo Infinite's launch, you see full Halo-like modes within Fortnite for a couple reasons. And let me, you guys tell me if I'm crazy here. Uh, but we had the Star Wars mode way back when in, in Fortnite where people were using lightsabers and whatnot. It seems to me that's a wonderful you know parody or, or parallel to the energy swords that exist within Halo. We have vehicles. Why not warthogs? Blood Gulch is available in the uh, creative mode right now. It's a very popular map. Uh, for Halo fans. Imagine also that there are drop pods dropping NPCs and ODSTs dropping in to have their own bot battles. And it sounds like they're not bringing Battle Royale to Halo, uh, Halo Infinite specifically, but they may indeed be trying to bring Halo to the world's biggest Battle Royale. And I'm thrilled by the idea of that because no one does it better than Fortnite. Uh, even though it's it's niche for some people, it's the most popular Battle Royale in the world by far. So if they're putting more Halo stuff in there, 
that brings you way more attention than even a game like Smash Brothers. So there's a possibility there that, that there is more Halo content. I strongly feel there's more fun to be had there. And if Halo is going to be going, I'm sorry, if, pardon me, if Fortnite is going the route of the industry's new Smash Brothers, mascots everywhere, I love that. Why wouldn't we see uh, Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn next to Master Chief, Gear, uh, Marcus Phoenix going in, and uh, we, we have a locust area of, of the map, but Kratos can be there as well, or Cole from Infamous. I love this silly crossover world, and I love crossovers in general. And again, if we're not going to get a Halo Battle Royale, which all those things I said about energy swords, drop pods, and everything else, I want that in Halo Infinite for a free player Battle Royale in Halo's world. But if we're not going to get it, I feel like Fortnite would be a great place for it. So there's, that's just a quick thought that I had in, in checking this one out here. Uh, Dano wrote in about the Game Awards, and he says, I thought the award show was really well done with how it was presented. Some moments were, all right, let's move on to the awards. Other times it was, whoa, don't just breeze past the awards. I wonder if anyone else felt that. Uh, I understand why for both, though. Dan makes a very good point and observation in that there are moments where some things were going lightning fast, and he's just like, all right, the award for this, 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 and this. And then other times we went very, very slowly. Some of the gameplay demos dragged on. Others felt like they were too short. And I think, Dan, that just kind of comes with the territory. And I know, you, I know you said you understand that. But I think that's a common critique. And it's all a matter of what you want and trying to have something for everybody. And there was a wonderful quote that we discussed way back before E3 from an executive whose name escapes me. I don't even remember what company he worked for or she worked for. But it was, if you can exit an E3... Uh, showcase with one to two things that you like from it, it's successful because they want to have things for everybody. And I felt like the Game Awards runs that same intention. Did you see one to two things that you really got excited for, whether it was your your game getting an award, whether it was an announcement or a reveal or a, a spotlight of something? I know seeing so many of those, the, the future class was really cool for a lot of people because they were spotlighting so many wonderful voices that will take gaming coverage into the next generation. Uh, I think the award show went really well, and I was really proud to be viewing it, really proud of Jeff Keighley, even though I have no reason to be proud, but I was, I was ecstatic for our industry and for um, the medium that we exist in. I thought it was really great. So uh, thank you, Dano, for writing your thoughts in on the Game Awards. Many of you did, and I just plucked Dan's there. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. We're putting all of the Game Award news behind us. We still have plenty to discuss and talk about and an interview to get to. Uh, there was news put out by Microsoft over on the Xbox Wire, which is their, of course, internal news site that they share with uh, the public, where we got some, some player engagement numbers after this first few weeks. 1.6 million seamless upgrades were delivered to Xbox Series S and X owners with smart delivery. That's kind of cool, meaning 1.6 million games were, were 
smart delivered and upgraded from their Xbox One versions into a Series S or X version. That's great. 40% of people joining the Xbox for the first time were playing on Xbox Series S. That's kind of neat. It talks about that, the the ability of that, that cost effectiveness. And you have to think also availability played a factor in that, but that's pretty cool. Fastest selling Xbox uh, Series S and X mark. One of the fastest selling Xbox Series X and S markets out of the 40 plus regions, Europe saw record sellouts in hours uh, for the UK, France, and Germany. And that's really exciting to see because those are typically uh, Sony number one areas. And while that may still be the case, to see that Microsoft sold so many Xboxes so quickly there certainly speaks to the recovery of the, the brand name and the faith that people have in what Xbox is going to be bringing them going forward. And in that, Cyber Rick wrote in a great question that I think speaks to this exact point. He says, uh, Luke, are you worried about the lack of first-party games in the first half of 2021? It sounds to me like Flight Sim and maybe uh, one other one like Psychonauts might be the only thing that gamers see in 2021. Uh, that's a, I think that's a great sentiment. And, and to answer your question, Cyber Rick, no, I'm not worried about the first half of 2021. I think the systems are going to be selling out. I think there's a lot of games that, quite frankly, are due for uh, some optimization and repair. We've seen a lot of these games that are supposedly for PlayStation 5, Series S, Series X, uh, next-gen versions running very poorly or having game-breaking bugs, save glitches, crashing systems. I, of course, speak from my own from my own experiences there, and it frustrates me. But as far as the first half of 2021 or, or Xbox first party in general, I'm not worried because, quite frankly, their first party slate has been rather uh, weak this entire Xbox One generation. Even though I've played some of my favorite games ever, the, the, the reality is those didn't land the same level of mindshare that we would uh, look at for Nintendo or Sony. And I don't think it's a problem at this point, given Halo Infinite's delay, to to let that continue and let third parties and services take up the slack in the first half of 2021. But after that, no excuses from Flight Simulator's launch on. We need to see top-tier stuff. That said, I did pull the list for you, uh, and I wanted to share with you the, the list of games that we are confirmed coming to Xbox and Game Pass at the same time. Right now, that stands in 2021 to be Halo Infinite, Psychonauts 2, The Ascent, The Medium, Gunk, Warhammer 40k Dark Tide, Exomecha, Scorn, Skatebird, Dead Static Drive, and The Good Life. But then there's also a bevy of other titles that are going to be coming into next gen that I think will occupy your attention. Games like Outriders, uh, Way to the Woods, Artful Generation, I'm sorry, The Artful Escape, Echo Generation, Resident Evil Village, Scarlet Nexus, Chorus, Crossfire X, 12 Minutes, Lego Star Wars. Plenty of games to play. Whether they're first party or not isn't really the issue. I'm actually more hopeful that we see the series s and x be cleaned up a bit and they run a bit more smoothly than they do now which is way better than xbox one uh, base s and one x for sure but i want them to kind of clean out the bugs and let people get acclimated to them so we don't see these game crashes these save glitches etc um, and there's so much to play as it is that i'm not i'm not concerned about the first half of 2021 not to mention um, i think sony has the same issue uh, we saw Miles Morales, which again, that's a PS4 game running beautifully on PS5, and the upgrade is wonderful, but you wouldn't notice it unless you had a side-by-side. -side. Uh, there's Ratchet and & Clank, and there's Horizon Forbidden West, and I believe that's it. 
uh, kind of for their first party slate as well. So they're, they're, I think it's pretty light right now on what we know for next year. And what we know is very little. We know that Bethesda's got stuff in the works. We know that a lot of their studios have stuff. We don't really know how far along Hellblade 2 is or Project Mara or any of the stuff coming out of Obsidian or In Exile, Ninja Theory. We know that Compulsion Games is close, but I don't want them to rush. Quite frankly, I do not want them to rush. But I was ecstatic to see these player engagement numbers and look at what we have uh, coming in 2021 with the included element that iOS and PC are both getting xCloud. And you'll be able to play games that are in Xbox Game Pass via xCloud on your browser of your PC. That's incredible. You want to play Master Chief Collection, don't want to download it, you're playing it on xCloud. You've got the browser on your iOS device, you load up xCloud, suddenly you are playing Gears 5, you are playing Sea of Thieves, Minecraft Dungeons, Witcher 3, Arkham Asylum. This is wonderful news that people are finally getting to in the iOS camp. Check out more of what xCloud has to offer. Previously, they've been limited by a beta and the Master Chief Collection. But also on PC, the ability to play what's in Game Pass via xCloud, that to me is ecstatic because I have a very weak laptop. It doesn't do any real gaming uh, purposes. But if I can play some of these amazing games, I can play Flight Simulator via xCloud. Love it. Love it. And it's only going to get better as they roll it to more regions. They continue to optimize, figure the technologies out. It's already, in my opinion, light years ahead of Stadia. And I wonder much what uh, Luna has to offer us on the Amazon side. This is great news. This is great news. More people getting access to Xbox, not by way of a console, but by way of a, a, a login on your phone, on your PC, on your older system. I genuinely think you'll see xCloud come to Xbox One X and One S. I'm very curious to see how they navigate that, uh, particularly in things like Halo Infinite. And with mention of Halo Infinite, we got a huge drop of information detailing the release window for Halo Infinite coming in fall 2021. This was told to us in a release by Joseph Staten, who joined the team not too long ago. And he said several things in that write-up, which you can find over on Halo Waypoint. Uh, I have my own takes on it, but I want to read some quotes to you from Mr. Staten as well. Uh, If you are unfamiliar, he is a veteran of Halo. He worked on the original Halos 1 through 3. Um, I believe he dabbled in Reach. He became a fan and and was not part of 343 during 4 and 5. Uh, He helped write in those capacities. He helped design in those capacities. And he's been around Microsoft on the tertiary uh, for quite a long time. He even was brought in to help ship Crackdown 3 when that game was in purgatory. So here's hoping he's able to help ship Infinite. But he had some compelling quotes that I want to share with you. He said in this post that is extensive and long, the, the quotes that I pulled, My first week on the job, I played the entire Infinite campaign twice. I was, in a word, stunned. In the best way, by what the team had done. Infinite is by far the most expansive and vertical Halo world ever. Why did the team do this? Because they understand that wonder and freedom are key to the Halo experience. I could feel the classic Halo 30 seconds of fun beating at the heart of Infinite's world, but I had never felt more powerful, more mobile, and more in command of a rich set of tactical choices. This was what Halo was we this was the Halo we imagined back in 2000 finally come to life after 20 years of technical and creative innovation. End quote. 
So Joseph Staten entered the studio to what we knew was a, a nearly finished campaign, campaign, and he played it twice. He noted that, of course, there were bugs. There were things that needed to be cleaned up. The feedback from the July demo certainly was heard by the team, and they've been really pushing hard through this fall, and they're taking a much-needed break for the holidays to recharge and hit it back again with a new release window of fall 2021. I'm ecstatic by this news. In fact, I, I tweeted out, but I'll share with you a bit. I'm really glad that it's not something that's being released in February or March or anything like this. Uh, the damage to the delay was done. It didn't launch with the system. The marketing and Mindshare have already missed the mark uh, with the launch of the system coming gone, and we've already seen the boxes with Halo and the, the, the cups that are in various places, the toys. They're already out there, and that wave of coverage is now gone. It can't be brought back. And Microsoft and Xbox are no stranger to a lack of big, ex big first-party exclusives. They've managed uh, several years in the Xbox One space with uh, varying levels of success, Gears, Sea of Thieves. Uh, they kind of carried things, and they certainly have their own very, very healthy communities. But the mind share isn't there for the common gamer. When Microsoft wants to be to 3 billion screens, it's just not going to land with those types of franchises. Halo is one that... that could possibly be brought back to the forefront. But they missed the window for the early, um, the big push of Infinite. And so now, in taking the whole extra year to clean, polish, and refine, I think that is going to be a wonderful thing for gamers. Uh, in the meantime, that near-complete game just gets solid amounts of, of polish, revision, and cleanup that will allow this to be a showcase piece because it needs to be near-perfect in its class. Halo Infinite cannot launch with bugs. It cannot launch the way many of these games have uh, here in fall of 2020, pandemic or otherwise. It needs to be perfect in its class and a brilliant showcase piece for the Series S and X. A lot of... A lot of discussion has come as to whether or not this game now needs to go Series SX exclusive and they need to ditch the Xbox One. I have a lot of thoughts on that. None of them are definitive. Uh, right now, I think it does need to be Series S and X exclusive. As I said, the damage is done and you've got an entire year to create units of hardware and get those Series S and Xs out there. And... It is further complicated or perhaps simplified by the inclusion of xCloud. If my Xbox One S or X has access to xCloud in the future, why would we not want to stream that service? We know the multiplayer is going to be free to play. You have to imagine, given the amount of server-side efforts of games like Call of Duty and Fortnite, that you could see a productive and useful free multiplayer suite accessible on Xbox One, but the best of the best needs to be on Series S and X, as you would expect. Making it exclusive, to me, to next-gen, or now current-gen, seems to be a wise choice given that the delay damage is done and you're giving time for people to upgrade into that generation. That is a complicated thing when you've been constantly discussing blended generations. The delay makes it that much more interesting. Eric J. actually wrote in about this one, and he said, Hey bro, we've seen reports of issues with Cyberpunk 2077 struggling on base consoles. Uh, in light of that, do you think Halo Infinite should be moved solely to focus on PC, S, and X? Have a good show. And Eric, I mean, that's the, that's the money question, man. Should we do this? Should, should Microsoft and Xbox 
push this to be Series S and X exclusive? You're asking me this week, the answer is a, a hard yes, particularly after seeing so many struggles that uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is having. The delays, the frustration, the false promises uh, coming from what is seemingly a great game and the PC community is loving Cyberpunk. The console community is very frustrated on a number of different places. I know I myself, Eric, I bought and I own Cyberpunk. I did not get a review code, so I'm not obligated to do coverage. Uh, I bought it and I'm not starting it, if I'm being honest with you. I'm going to keep playing Immortals and other stuff uh, and enjoy those games until it's ready for console space. Till that next-gen patch is there and it's optimized and clean. And I don't want Infinite to have the same issues. I don't want to hear the whole Craig fake, the brute face. I don't want to hear about uh, a cloud not looking good. And frankly, I think those are dumb arguments anyway for any game. If I'm playing Mortals Phoenix Rising and a cloud pops in way out, uh, my game's still fun. Uh, but yeah, I think they should delay it. You ask me next week if I get more information, maybe I'll change my mind. But uh, let me know what you guys think. Tweet me at InsipidGhost and let me know your thoughts. As I said, a monster episode here. We're rocking and rolling. I did want to point out, you know, I talked about that Xbox One generation and the pillars that got uh, the Xbox through that one, apart from services, games like Forza Horizon 4, Gears 5, Sea of Thieves, State of Decay, Crackdown. Uh, some of them made it through that, that, that time well, some not. But several of those pillar games are getting a lot more content in the coming weeks. We saw Forza Horizon 4 get an entirely new mode that emphasizes customizable stunt tracks. Not only do they keep getting cars and updates for that community, but now they're getting an entirely new mode that emphasizes creativity for tracks, which I find to be wonderful, and that might be a, a hint as to what's to come in the Forza Horizon franchise. Gears 5 is getting story DLC, three, four-hour story DLC based on the Hive Busters, uh, which are characters within the escape mode. That was something we did not think, and they had actually said, would not be happening in Gears 5. But we know that multiplayer base is stronger than ever, uh, higher than ever. The hardcore of hardcore Gears players are much like the hardcore of hardcore Destiny players. They're always complaining about something. But there's a ton of people playing Gears 5, a ton of people playing Forza Horizon 4, and we know for sure 11 million people playing Sea of Thieves right now. All three of those player bases have gone up since their launch and not down. That's not a bad week for the three big names that carry the Xbox One. And we find out now that Minecraft Dungeons is also getting even more DLC that is available at this moment. When you look at that, I get a little bit of healthy encouragement that Microsoft's pillar franchises are not being left behind as they look towards the future of bringing games like Perfect Dark, Avowed, Elden Ring, and more to their first-party suite. I like that. I don't want to be abandoned as a fan of those, those Xbox One-era games. I love those Xbox One-era games. I acknowledge that they weren't enough to carry a, a system through to, to number one glory and all that jazz, but for Sea of Thieves to be getting seasonal updates now in lieu of the monthly, but now they're going to be a bit more rich and vibrant and getting its own types of, of season pass, which they're calling a blunder pass, a plunder pass. Uh, I, I love that because that, they're continuously making great content. Forza Horizon 4 still getting content. Gears getting story content. I mean, it's, it's cool. There's double the amount of content in Gears 5 that there was at launch. It's just a lot to celebrate. And I think as gamers, we often get stuck on the nitty-gritty, the, the frustrations. We look at the conversation around Cyberpunk, and it's very, very negative. And there's a lot to celebrate about that game, Cyberpunk. So, you know, I wanted to just put that in your ear that the Pillar franchises seem to be continuously doing well. State of Decay 2 doing better than it's ever done with State of Decay 3 on the way as well. It's great. It's great. I dig it. 
Oh boy, moving now into listener questions and topics. I did want to say we I put out a call for questions on the old interwebs, and we had one person win a copy of Bartlow's Dread Machine. Of course, we interviewed Clayton Kozlerik a few weeks ago. They sent me some extra codes to Dread Machine, so I've got more to give away over on Twitter at InsipidGhost. I also solicited questions for the, the for uh, Ali Alatalo, who we talked to, uh, and you'll hear from him later in the episode, to discuss about Tesla Force, and our buddy Mel won that code. Mel, uh, if you would DM me back, I'll let you know that you uh, won it. Just give me a quick shout, and I'll confirm and send that code your way. This is all types of exciting. Let's uh, take a look here at our questions for this week. This first one coming from Todd Oxtra, always writing in. He says, what's your take on Bioware and its future? Will the changes in leadership with their games planned uh, do you think that they're, they can return to their top-tier status? Oh, man, Todd. No, I don't. I think they were placed on a pedestal that was unfair and built on a history of uninvolved RPGs. Uh, when you look at Knights of the Old Republic, what they were able to do there and what you're, they were able to do with kind of some of their earlier titles, it was very impressive for its time, but they didn't age the way that they would like. Dragon Age was haunted by production issues. Um, Jason Trier's book, um, Pixels something or another, gosh, I'm blanking on it, really details a lot of the issues that they were having. Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, that's what it was. Uh, and then you look at the issues of Mass Effect Andromeda, of Anthem, and you've got good gameplay concepts, but flawed execution, bad leadership, etc. Casey Hudson really seemed to just not land where they were. people were hoping he would land, and that's the problem when you evangelize people. Uh, so I don't see them back to their top status, even with a new Mass Effect game, a new Dragon Age game. That said, I also don't think they're a bad developer, and I don't think they should be abandoned. There were a ton of things I loved about Anthem. A lot of people found some joy in that fixed and patched version of Mass Effect Andromeda, and we should celebrate that and still play that. If you like those games, do not feel shame in enjoying them. Too often, we, we bring a negative narrative to people who just want to have fun with something, and we need not do that. There's a lot of great stuff there, but no, as far as top-tier status, too many other too many other studios are taking that. Insomniac's taking that. Uh, like, I never saw them getting into there. It's, it's, there's too much else happening in the gaming space that are near-perfect studios on the outside looking in, right? And I don't see Bioware getting back to where they once were. It's not, it's not achievable. Famous Seamus writes, What is your biggest surprise from the Game Awards? Uh, my biggest surprise from the Game Awards, uh, that Ori was Ori didn't land a single nomination, maybe? Um, my biggest surprise really and truly was the winner. I, I thought Last of Us was uh, too often sweeping awards. I thought Ghost of Tsushima deserved a bit more spotlight than it got, and I was disappointed to see uh, that Last of Us kept taking things away. I found that game to be bloated and depressing, even though it was a technical marvel and, and masterpiece writing. It wasn't fun. Uh, in my mind, and a lot of people got frustrated when I said that in my reviews earlier this year, but I didn't have fun with Last of Us. I was too depressed and sad. Maybe it's 2020 or whatnot. So I was surprised to see so many people still sticking with it as the best. Um, and it reminded me again, Famous Seamus, that I don't put a lot of stock in the awards and the opinions uh, of 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 outlets over that of what I found myself, right? Like I'm, I love reading and watching reviews of, from all different types of people. I really enjoy that process, but somebody else's enjoyment doesn't dictate mine and vice versa. So take that how, how you will. I don't know if I answered your question well, but I hope so. Uh, 
Your second question, with many developers working at the initiative having worked on great games including Tomb Raider, God of War, Uncharted, Destiny 2, and more, what do you hope to see in the new Perfect Dark game? Great question. I, I hope that it is single-player, narrative-driven, not an RPG. Um, I hope it does have elements like God of War that are entirely optional areas, that conversations are dynamic, meaning that if I move in and out of different things, kind of the way you did, more mirrors head would stop talking or start talking. Um, I want to have a connection to Joanna Dark because I don't have one right now, so I want them to uh, find a way for me to care about Joanna. Maybe you do that with a companion piece, the way we've seen some games like Uncharted do, where you care about Elena or whatnot. Um, Ellie, of course, had Joel and vice versa. But I want to care about Joanna in a way that I don't know that you get to if you're playing through a story by yourself and the character is rather quiet. So I'm curious to see how that works out. I love the theme of eco-sci-fi. I think it's too often overlooked that... The world is on fire, and it's on fire because of human beings, and there's a way to work around that and work with that. I hope they don't shy away from tackling some of those big issues with it, the problems that come with humanity living on a planet uh, in areas that nature would not allow or want. So, uh, yeah, that's what I hope to see in Perfect Dark right now. <laughs> but, but I don't even know if it's thirst or fir- third person or first person. So we'll see. Thirst person. And, mm, that's a whole different game, right? That's Cyberpunk 2070. Nope, nope, can't make that joke. All right. My friend Stuart writing in, Stuart wants to know about Cyberpunk 2077. He says, with Cyberpunk 2077 releasing in the state it did, is this okay? People have paid their hard-earned cash, and it is a buggy game that's clearly in alpha. Is it right that they hid the console version from the public's eye? Great question, Stuart. Uh, Is it right that they hid it from the public's eye? No. No, probably not, but also that's entirely their prerogative. They can do that absolutely. Every reviewer that got a code early got it for PC, and every reviewer that was responsible disclosed that. Very few codes went out, which was a number of red flags. And with those reviews coming, having not even been out, and people already having red flags, they had pre-ordered and sold, they have sold 8 million copies of Cyberpunk 2077. Eight million people didn't give a hoot what reviews said, including myself, and bought the game. Now, there's a very, very, very small fraction of of people that are getting their game refunded by Sony. I haven't heard about it on Microsoft's side, but I'm sure it's happening. Um, Is it okay to do that? Yep, they can sell whatever they want, uh, but they certainly burned a lot of goodwill with a lot of people, and that is going to damage their future prospects for any type of DLC that is paid for any next game that we're going to have. Witcher Four will certainly be a bit more uh, have a bit more timid consumers purchasing it. Uh, their stock, of course, dropped rather heavily, despite the fact that the game was profitable before it was even out. Uh, people paid their hard-earned money for it. And they got a really buggy game. But did they have fun? Are they having fun? The answer is very mixed throughout the internet. The PC players seem very happy with the game they have got. The console players lackluster. Those console players also bought knowing full well there was a next-gen system uh, out and that there was a next-gen version coming and on the way. And we've seen countless times that this Xbox One PS4 generation overstayed its welcome even with the ps4 pro and xbox one x games like control just too complex and difficult to be run and run well when you look at games like grand theft auto 5 that game released on ps3 and xbox 360 
but it ran better on PS4 and the PS4 version and, and sorry and Xbox One version way better, way better, right? We've gotten so many lessons about not buying games early, voting with your wallets, and yet we still do it. It's the old joke about Nintendo. We keep giving them money even though they keep doing bad things. Eight million people didn't care about reviews, Stuart. So is it right morally? I'm at, no, maybe, yes. However, people did it. So is it right for them from a business perspective? Absolutely. And real talk, I bought the game, not upset about it, not refunding it. I'm just not going to start it yet. I've got so much in my back catalog. I know I want to play Cyberpunk, but I don't want to play that buggy mess, and I'm just waiting. So they've got my money built on the goodwill from The Witcher 3, and I'm looking forward to what they can do with Cyberpunk once it's ready for console primetime. But I'm waiting. But it's a good question. Like, it's a good question. I just don't know that I have the authority to answer it. Let's do one more question here. This one coming from my buddy Charles. Uh, his his gamer tag is Hafrican. Uh He had a bunch of a bunch of questions, but this one ties into Stuart. So let's go with this first one. He says, "Do you think the next gen consoles are just a money grab, considering the issues that are happening with most games?" Uh, no, not at all. I certainly don't think that's the case. And mind you, I've had some really frustrating experiences on my Xbox Series X with Call of Duty crashing, as you know. Um, as far as a money grab, not at all. No, the systems I think would have been far more prepared and ready had the pandemic not occurred. And there were too many wheels spinning in motion to delay the systems and it would have really damaged their business going forward. Right now, both companies are out, are selling out everywhere. Every unit they produce is getting sold without a doubt. Like within hours, things are gone. Stock is gone. Uh, and, and oftentimes within minutes, that is the case. I think it was the right choice amongst bad options to put the systems out. I think the right choice for gamers is to pick and choose their experiences, check into reviews, research ahead of time, know what they might be getting and might not, and uh, be patient, which is not easy to do. Not easy to do. I've been plagued with Call of Duty issues. I love Cold War's multiplayer. Constantly having crashes, frame rate drops, issues, and it's 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 disappointing and frustrating, and yet... Activision gets away with it, I guess, and and they don't know how to fix it. Part of the territory of buying early, early adopters always um, pay the price for the better versions that come down the road. Um, another interesting question was, should there be a sense of open collaboration and more collaboration between console developers and console and game developers in regards to any and all games that come out? That's a good question. You're asking whether or not developers and, and console makers should talk, but we know that they do. In fact, Jason Ronald came out and spoke about that last week. Of course, he's the lead architect behind the Series S and X, and he discussed that they have already reached out to companies like Ubisoft to say, hey, you know, you didn't have enough time with the dev kit. Here's how we can help you fix this or do that. And I think that's part of the ongoing thing. The Xbox One was apparently a nightmare to work with, in terms of dev tools by comparison to the PS4. And when I say nightmare by comparison, keep that perspective in mind. Nothing like the old PS3 cell processor days, but just, you know, more difficult. So when you when you look at that and then you look at how much easier the Series S and X are to work with, there's a lot of feedback that went into that as well. Alrighty, guys, let's let's go ahead and stop there. I have babbled for quite a while, an extended and long episode here, and of course, I'm going to be turning you over into an interview with Oli Alatalo. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Mel won the code for Tesla Force. That code was actually for a Dread Machine. I'm sorry, I got that mixed up, Mel. Um, and the winner for the Tesla Force code 
was Mr. Famous Seamus. You guys DM me for your codes, and I will make sure that you guys get them. I have reached out for more codes from various people, and if not, I will be getting you amazing listeners some good old joy coming your way uh, because you guys have done a lot for me. And XEP continues to be something I look forward to each and every Sunday. You've given me the opportunity to meet other gaming communities. Uh, I got to hang out on DLC this year and Kind of Funny X-Cast. I hope to do another Kind of Funny show uh, at some point in my, in my life. But when I do this for a hobby and not as a per- career pursuit, um, it means a lot that people listen. So thank you. I appreciate you guys. And I hope you continue to enjoy it. Uh, find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost, PSN, Xbox Live as well. I'm playing Fortnite now, so who knows how cool I am there. Uh, yeah, Fortnite, Insipid Ghost as well, I guess now. Uh, that's it for me, guys. Enjoy this interview with Oli Alatalo, uh, an incredible, really kind human being who stayed up very late in his time zone from, I believe, Finland. But I, it was just wonderful to uh, hear his voice about twin stick shooters. Please reach out to him on Twitter. Let him know that you appreciate his time making games uh, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Well, I'm very fortunate now to be joined by Ali Alatalo, I hope I get that right, my friend, uh, of 10 Ton Games. Ali, thank you so much for joining us today, and do correct me on how to pronounce your name properly one more time. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's Oli Alatalo. Oli Alatalo. Well, I appreciate you being here, my friend. Uh, you are a veteran of the gaming industry, having been with 10 Tons for nearly 10 years. Is that right? Yep, almost. Man, how did you get started in game development? Yeah, well, I was uh, six years old when I uh, got my first computer. It was a Commodore 64, and uh, ever since I've known that I want to be a game developer. So I went to university, computer sciences, and uh, after studying, I applied for a job at Tentons. So you ended up at Ten Tons right out of university, straight into the into the industry. Yeah, well, practically, I I, I did some work as a software developer, um, part time developer, but Ten Tons is kind of like my first full time job. Interesting, man, and been there for nearly ten years. And uh, for those unfamiliar, Ten Tons specializes, I feel, uh, very much so in twin stick shooters, games like Neon Chrome, Crimson Last, uh, Crimson Land, Judge, uh, and one of my favorites, Tesla vs. Lovecraft. Uh, a lot of people wrote in, including James Suddy, and he was asking, "What was it that brought you to Ten Tons? Like, why Ten Tons, and why twin stick shooters? Was it just luck of the draw?" Well. <sighs> Tentons was, um, it's actually the oldest uh, studio in the, this uh, area that is still alive. Mm-hmm. And we have been around for 16 or 17 years right, right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's quite stable, which is a good thing in this industry. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not many uh, companies can make it that far. Uh, but but why Twin Sticks? I I guess it's because of Crimson Land. Yeah, Seventeen years ago, uh, Tentons released the first very very first version of the Crimson Land, and it was kind of a big hit back then. Mm-hmm. I guess there's millions of people who have play, played the game, and uh, it started the company. So it's. <laughs> 
we are trying to, you know, uh, well, not repeat the success, but we have fan, fans that expect twin sticks from us, so, and we like them. We like them uh, quite a lot. Well, certainly. So I can remember playing Crimson Land uh, on a, a release for the Vita several years back, which is a, a joy for me. I love that handheld. Uh, and you guys have released so many, I would say, just masters in class for Twin Six. I'm thinking about Neon Chrome. Again, I mentioned Tesla vs. Lovecraft. Uh, do you yourself have a personal affinity to them, or did it just come by way of being at Ten Tons? Well, um, I like uh, arcadish games, games that you know look like a game instead mm-hmm. of being a, a simulation or, or very realistic. Mm-hmm. So, Twin Sticks is um, quite a good genre in that uh, I, I enjoy the gameplay of many mm-hmm. Twin Stick games. Interesting. Gotcha. Well, that is one of, I think, the benefits of that genre is that they are so arcadey, and that lets you, I would imagine, play with gameplay uh, a little bit. Are there any particular, like, pillars or tenets you feel stand out as necessary for a good twin-stick shooter? Well, um, well, it has to have, have guns. I, I guess that's the stable of the genre, but I guess the game needs to have a very um, good feedback on on your actions mm-hmm. you have to feel your actions when you shoot shoot at the enemy shoot at the enemy you need to have a good feedback on that shooting mm-hmm. but I, I think the genre is quite um quite uh, saturated maybe there's mm-hmm. a lot of different games out there and i think that there's not that many you know common features that every every game would have in common. Mm-hmm. Well, we had some people write in, including our friend Famous Seamus. He asked, how is it that you make Twin Six shooters stand out from one another? Because, as you said, the industry uh, certainly does at times feel saturated with Twin Six shooters. Is there a way that you go about making your titles stand out from one another? Yeah, it's always a challenge. I mean, we... Um, well, that changes from game to game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to pick one or two hooks that, you know, what makes the game different? How how do you explain the game in a, in a single phrase so that you can you can explain the essence of the game to a friend very easily? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the way to stand out uh, amongst the games that you can very easily explain the game. For example, Tesla versus Lovecraft. Uh, the name already suggests that it's it's a you know battle between these two geniuses, and if you already know either one of them, you are going to be interested in the game. When you when you have a game like Tesla vs. Lovecraft, uh, again, as I say to listeners, I really enjoyed that game. Uh, where does that premise come from? You have those two geniuses. They they're very unique, Lovecraft with his monsters and his, you know, science fiction and horror aesthetics and Tesla with his technologies. Where did that idea come from? Well, uh, initially, we didn't have that kind of setup. It actually was the mages fighting some uh, interdimensional demons, mm-hmm. but uh, it didn't feel good enough back then. So we kept searching, searching for new ideas 
And I came across this uh, fan art by, I guess it was Travis Pitts. It, it was kind of like a t-shirt design mm-hmm. where there was a Tesla and Lovecraft as a paranormal investigators. Mm-hmm. It was a, yeah, I guess you can still find it online somewhere. And that single image was so inspirational that uh, <laughs> we made a game out of that, you know, premise. And, and I'm sorry, to, go ahead, please. Yeah, and to uh, make it more interesting, we put them head to head instead of working in a team in the Tesla vs. Lovecast. Mm-hmm. And for players that are unfamiliar, you play as Nikola Tesla and you go around with different types of devices and different types of weapons uh, and you battle various Lovecraftian style monsters. And in in looking at Tesla Force and working with that, it feels like that is an extension of Tesla vs. Lovecraft. Would you call it a sequel, a spinoff? What's the right way when you guys are in development? How did you think of it? Yeah, well, I would call it spinoff. It's obviously uh, based on the same world and looks somewhat the same, placed the same at times. Um, but there are some differences that makes it play a little different. Uh, it's a little bit more like a Rockwell-like, mm-hmm. while uh, Tessa vs. Lovecraft is a, a simple arena shooter. And again, I wasn't joking. Tessa vs. Lovecraft is my jam. I love that game. Yeah, it's it's great to hear from people who who really enjoy that game because I had fun creating that game. I mean, I probably probably made a little bit too much of a passion project out of it. Did you? How long did it take you to make? Um, two years, two and a half years, maybe. And roguelites certainly bring their own types of challenges. Did that? Did that lead you guys to change level design or have to make any gameplay changes to accommodate the the twin stick roguelite aspect of it versus uh, just the standard genre as it was? Well, I guess the biggest change was the uh, session length. In Tesla vs. Lovecraft, your session lasts a few minutes, from three to five minutes. And when the level ends, you kind of lose everything, but you complete the level. Mm-hmm. And because it's so short time, everything happens very fast. Uh, and it doesn't really matter how powerful powerful the player can be, because it will be over after the level ends. And the mm-hmm. next level starts from the zero again. And... Now that we have uh, this Rockwell-like uh, progression, and the game la- lasts at least uh, half an hour, we can't have that uh, quick progression in power. We have to slow down. Mm-hmm. So now, now we have to fill in caps how to keep player interested in the game. Mm-hmm. So we had to have all kinds of. Uh, new progressions in the game, like uh, weapon levels. You can upgrade your levels. Uh, Yeah, it's surprisingly changes the gameplay quite a lot now that we had to slow down the gameplay, uh, the progression, because of the session length change Mm -hmm. so much. Did you find yourself taking in certain types of feedback from, you know, players who, who were trying out 
uh, Tesla Force in its early days and having to change the session length or, or the way that uh, you handled that progression so differently and slowed it down? Actually, uh, we did an early access uh, in Steam, mm-hmm. and uh, we made uh, actually quite a big change in that session length. Uh, initially, we had uh, just one uh, long chapter, which was, I guess, 20 levels long. So you had to play with 20 levels to complete the game. And mm-hmm. we split that in three different chapters, and mm-hmm. each was, um, I think, 10 levels. So we increased the total level count, mm-hmm. but we also shortened the session length, so that now you have to play more sessions, but the sessions are a little bit shorter. Gotcha. And I... Uh, and this was because of the issue that a player got way too powerful at the end, that it hurt the gameplay. So mm-hmm. now that the session length is a bit shorter than it was at the start of the early access, we can uh, uh, we don't have to mind the power level that much. We can let the player have some fun. Gotcha. I see. Now, in that idea of players having fun, something I noticed in my time uh, with them is, is the weapon variety. And you mentioned earlier on in the interview that uh, guns are a hugely or vastly important aspect of twin stick shooters. In these games, the, the weapons are very bright. They have very, you know, varying levels of effects and they stand out. Uh, is designing weapons something that you guys have to do a lot of tweaking to, and is there a special a special sauce that comes to making it? Well, when I start with a weapon design, I usually think about um, what it feels like to find the weapon or use it for the first time, mm-hmm. how the player reacts to the weapon they find. Mm-hmm. So that's the starting point for me, and I think the balance... Uh, is for me is not the utmost importance, especially in the game like uh, Tessa vs. Lovecraft, mm-hmm. when you know it doesn't matter if the weapon is too powerful because it's just going to be fun and we can take the weapon away in a moment. Uh, so it's okay to player be super powerful for a, for a moment as long as using the weapon is interesting and exciting. And what do, like do you have any favorite weapons or what does make them interesting? You know, I mean, there's different beam weapons, different things that, that have spreads. Uh, do you have a preference when designing those? Uh, well, my personal favorite weapon, I think, is the Jakob stick, because well, uh, if you if you don't know the Jakob's ladder, it's uh, this electrical device. Mm-hmm. You shoot uh, an arc between two. Uh, metal rods that ascends because of heat. Looks like and lightning, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we uh, combine that with a you know cattle prod, so mm-hmm. <laughs> so now you can you know use it against the against the enemies. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed in, in, in my time that enemy variety is uh, 
I, I would say very fun because when I look at those Lovecraftian elements and these squirming, you know, monstrous look, sometimes sea creature looking, sometimes almost bug like slugs in some ways. Uh, there's certainly a variety of monstrosities that you have to fight at various times, sometimes getting into a mech at that. Uh, how did you guys uh, go about designing those uh, Lovecraftian enemies and, and any tweaks or did anything stand out in creating them? Well, um, well, that's a funny thing. I mean, when you think about Lovecraftian monsters, they are supposed to be uh, undescribable and something that would make you insane if you see them or, yeah. or you know, feel their presence. But in the game, you just, you know, mow down them uh, like thousands, by the thousands. We kind of have to balance between, you know, Choosing the biggest monster from the Lovecraftian uh, monsterpedia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and balance it with the cannon fodder kind of enemies. So that's why we are using mostly these uh, sort of human-like creatures that are uh, used to be humans or look like humans or act like humans instead of the, these uh, much more powerful like shoggoths that that are you know. M- Maybe more, more um, known Lovecraftian monsters. We try to spare them, you know, so that they're a bit, little bit more scary. Mm-hmm. Did you find that creating uh, a mech for the player to assemble, and for players un- or for people unfamiliar, you assemble a mech at various points in the levels to uh, battle out these monsters, monsters? Did you find that 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 mech gave you different gameplay elements that you could play with and be a little more creative with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had some uh, troubles in Desolvers Lovecraft when we initially tried to make it, make it more fun. Uh, it's very common in games like this that you can kite the enemies, uh, meaning that you run away in a circle and they follow you and you just keep shooting them. Mm-hmm. And we tried to break that formula by making the monsters a little bit more faster than the player and spawn randomly at uh, every side. So you can't actually run around that much. So you have to uh, use the teleport to escape the enemies. So now you are almost always on the run, and Mm -hmm. it's very uh, uh, stressful. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's very stressful. And now that we have a mech, you can... Assemble it, collect the four point, uh, parts in Tessa Force, and press the button, and suddenly you are much more powerful. You are invincible, and you can crush them without uh, any opposition. So it's cathartic now that you you don't have to be stressed stress anymore. You can just you know let it go and mm-hmm. kill them all. So I think it's very important in uh, for the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. Certainly so. Do you have any favorite games that you've worked on? This is a bigger question. I know I'm backing off from Tesla Force for just a moment. Do you have any bigger, or, or sorry, have any favorite games that you've worked on or favorite memories from working in game development? Um, that's a good question. Isn't it? It's not a fair question, is it? It's like on the <laughs> spot. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm, I, I've been working uh, on this this Tesla game for past five years, so mm-hmm. 
everything I remember about game development is really related on these two games. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know, the, one of the last questions I have for you was written in by a listener as well, and Sir Khalid wanted to know, uh, will there be more games within this Tesla universe, twin stick or otherwise, that you guys have created? Yeah, like uh, I just said, I spent last five years in this Tesla-verse, and it's, I, I mean, I like it very much. It's mm-hmm. very interesting. There's a lot of uh, things to do in that universe, but I think I'm going to take a little break from uh, twin stick shooters for a while, mm-hmm. but I'm not saying no, mm-hmm. like never. So maybe sometime, but I'm pretty sure that my next game is not going to be a, a Tesla-inspired twin stick shooter. I think that would that would seem logical. Give yourself a break. Uh, Ollie, can you tell people where they can find Tesla vs. Lovecraft and, of course, Tesla Force as well, uh, if they would like to check it out? Well, uh, we are practically on every place. We are on Steam, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, iPhone, Android. Um, well, <laughs> I feel I like you covered your bases there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Tesla Force is out there, and I hope anybody uh, listening does take a moment and go check it out. And also, I will say, uh, check out Tesla vs. Lovecraft as well, because I, I love that one. Ollie, where should people go to find you and seek out your work? Um, well, um, I, I guess Tentons.com is the place where we keep most updated portfolio of our games. Mm-hmm. 